life, the universe, and everything in between. Graham Hill's Weekend Variety Wireless on Radio Live. Later this hour, uh, the grim, nigh unbelievable situation of a woman taking her son to be shot in the legs. Rather do that than go to the police. We speak with the director concerning this affair. Oh dear, oh dear, here's a touch. They would never leave, much rather bring their children to be shot than leave that community. So they're very loyal to it. Yes. John Dibbig's up though. Letter from America. Yep, plenty of Trump stuff. Here he comes after the commercial break. Good evening. I'll keep your ears peeled. We'll give away a double ticket to the New Zealand International Film Festival later on. Ah, Weekend Variety. Wireless. Okay. US is the least qualified guy. No, we are! But look what they are doing today. <laughs> Yet, this guy is telling us it's better for US to shut, shut up. Shut up. This guy, I love that. This guy. Yeah. This guy. Who's that guy? And you can still hear that on, I should tell people, they might be tuning in for the first time, his, his entire rant is, is on YouTube. Sounds like he's down a tunnel, but I've I managed to rescue the original audio. May I'll post it up. Yeah, it's yeah. brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. It's the, so, it's so uh, Chinese. It's so fervent yeah. about that kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. All right, something which America has been great at uh, probably longer than anyone else, although Mexico would put their hand up too, yep. and they would have uh, a fair reason and a good argument. Boxing. Boxing, yeah. Now, our guy. Yeah. Yeah. You're, you're, not, you're not impressed with the jive. Well, you know, I watched the, uh, the pre-fight interview, you know, and, and Joseph, I mean, if you, can't, if you can't throw it, just do something else. I mean, he was trying to, he goes... I'm, I'm going to throw punches with intent. I'm going to, and you're going, man, come on. you got to have a little energy, a little. It is kind of the job description, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Got boxing gloves on yeah. and a ring. But you can just tell it's not his personality. No. So if it's not your personality, don't do it. No. Do, do what you do. Yeah. If you want to be Gentleman Jim, be Gentleman Jim. Yeah, why not? You know, that's something different. <laughs> yeah, Hungry Bum Corbett. Yeah. Back yeah. in the day, Gentleman yeah. Jim Corbett. Yeah, just do what comes natural to you. Yeah. Hungry bum because he wore those funny pants that went right up his crack. <laughs> so they and they're really funny, eh? Those the old boxing pants yeah. that they had in the day. He was turn of the last century. Yeah, the ultimate wedgie. Yeah. <laughs> okay. I think he fought the New Zealander, Bob Fitzsimmons. Yeah. Okay. Now, uh, just what is reality? Hard to tell these days. R really, it is. It, it really is. I mean, things are so topsy-turvy and screwy about what's going down. Um, so I read an article about some Americans and Kiwi guys that support Trump. So, you know, oh, yeah. I thought, okay, I'll read this and mm -hmm. see what, what's what. And, you know, the, the thing that came out of it to me was a, a few things. One, th they all said that he wasn't part of the establishment. That's he, true, isn't it? The, the, the political establishment. Uh, well, the political establishment. Yeah. But he's so in bed with all the political donors, all the billionaire donors. I mean, the, the circles that he runs in are the same circles that control Washington, D.C. But even his business stuff, it just doesn't... Uh, it, it, when he was running, a lot of business people were saying, you know, he's, he's not really very good. Yeah. He's gotten lucky here and there. Yeah, well, I mean, essentially... When you look at it, you know, they say that he gets stuff done. When you look at it, yeah. he's not a negotiator's asshole. He can't negotiate anything. What he does 
is he sells. Mm. He sells ideas and philosophies and makes you feel good. That's the kind of thing he does. He doesn't really negotiate. He hasn't negotiated anything. Here's what I think he is. He walks around with such confidence because he's got a million dollars in the bank to to start with. So that gives you a certain gait. It does. It gives a confidence to your demeanor. Yeah. And people follow you. Yeah. And And then he makes more money and then he labels everything Trump. Yeah. That's me. Yeah. I'll put my name on it, name on it, name on it, name on it. Make myself famous. Exactly. Now I'm rich. And the fact... Look at me. Am I? Look, I am, I'm just so clever, it yeah. says. And because he's got an army of lawyers. He's got a whole bank of lawyers, so that yeah. gives you a lot more confidence. You can go around and do whatever. And if anybody gives you shit, you're just going to sick your lawyer on them. Yeah. And that, most of the time that works. But the other thing is... Um, you know, they say that, you know, he was going to shake up the system and, and that, you know, the system is broken in Washington and he was going to shake it up, you know. He's done just the opposite. He's enhanced the system. He's making more money off the presidency than any president ever. His family is making more money off of it. Uh-huh. His buddies are making money off of it. His cabinet is going to go down as one of the most corrupt cabinets ever. Half of them have been fired already for dipping into the public till. I mean, it couldn't be more corrupt than it is now. And there's going to be more, Warranty Harding? Yeah, Warranty Harding had a really bad cabinet. But this one, by the time all is said and done, is going to be right up there with that. Okay. All right. Now, the other thing is, they say the economy is going great gangbusters. It is, isn't it? It is. But it's not going any better than what it did under under Obama. It's a continuation of what Obama did. It's getting and, better and better. That's not getting better and better. Oh. Trump has created three and a half million jobs in the time he's been in office. At the end of Obama's, in the same time frame, Obama created over 400 or 4 million jobs. It's all good, though, isn't it? It's, I'm saying it is. But, see, the Trump people make everything sound like it's tremendously better. But it's, not, it's a little bit worse. Hmm. During the last four years of the Obama administration, on average, there were over two and a half million jobs created. Under Trump, just two million. Mm-hmm. So it's always a little bit the behind. Stock exchange. That's people like that, don't they? They in love that. According, so that, that's going really well. That's going really well. Obama did better. Oh, okay. Seven trillion dollars have been added since Trump has been here. But it's still good, though, isn't it? I'm just saying. Listen. I've just about reeled them in, listeners. Listen to the I numbers. Just, I've got the net out. Listen to the numbers. Under Obama, forty trillion dollars. So he's got a little, but that's what I'm saying. Still quite good, though, isn't it? <laughs> it's good. It's not as good as they're saying it is. It's a net. It's just, you know, they try to, you know, just expand everything. Now, here's the thing that really gets me. They say that he tells it like it is. I can't believe that statement. He doesn't ever tell it like it is. I'll give you two examples of... Damn, it got away. Off the hook. Sorry. Yeah. Nearly well, had you in the boat. Well, here's two lies that he told this week. Uh-huh. You know, just, I mean, of the, I mean, he told a whole bunch, but these are two. One, he boasted to the farmers because the farmers are getting killed now. Their, their, their stocks are down 20%. So, oh, this is because of the trade war stuff. Because of the trade war. Yeah. You know, they're down. And Trump is, they're so down that Trump is going to give them $12 billion. And the Federation Farmer President said, that's nice, but it's not even going to come close to covering what we're going to lose. And a lot of people are going to go out of business. But he told the Federated Farmers this week that he opened up the European markets to agriculture. And that's a lie. Because the President of the European Union came out and said, no, agricultural products are not on the table. 
Other things are on the table, but not agricultural products. And we discussed that, and it's in the papers. I have no authority read. To, to grant that. So, you know, but the biggest lie he told this week, this is a lovely one. And see, you know, and, and this is part of the negative press that they're complaining about. They complain that he gets negative press. Well, how else can you do it except report what he says? And he said this week that he's coming out. He's come out with a, a, a Trump health care plan to oppose the Obamacare. And he says his is brilliant and the numbers are fantastic and people are falling over themselves to sign up for it. There's, the numbers are so high, it's just fantastic. It's not implemented yet. Nobody's signed up for it. It doesn't even come into a, into a possible time until September. So he just, What is it actually? I haven't heard of health plan. I haven't either. And he didn't obviously give any details on this. Because it was one of the biggest Obama things, wasn't it? We should... Yeah. Um... And Obama's ticking along. Obamacare is ticking along. Yeah. People are signing up. People are still doing it. And Trump has done everything he can to, you know, to put, tear it down. But that's what I'm saying. These people say that he says it like it is. So they say, <coughs> instead of going to the mainstream media... <coughs> excuse me. I got that 90-day cough. We've all had it. Mm. Um... They go straight to the White House or Fox News to get the reports because that's the real deal, you know. Mm. The mainstream media fall over backwards to be at least impartial and report some good stuff that he does. I've, I've watched them. They'll report the job growth. They'll report all that, but they'll also report the fact that it's not as great as the Trumpians are saying. But the other thing but, is... Uh, HuffPost and MSNBC won't. Yeah, they will. Shit, shit, goddamn, yeah, I listen to them. Oh, okay. They talk about it. They, they lay it out. CNN lays it out. That, but, you know, this, this one guy said that he goes to the White House. I'll, I'll give you one example of what, what the White House does. They lie more than Trump because they lie about his lies. In the Trump-Putin summit, we've all seen it. The reporter said, Putin, did you want Trump to win the election? And Putin says, yes, I did. Yes, I did, because Trump wanted to bring Russia-U.S. relations closer. So he said, yes, I did, yes, I did, twice. The White House put out the transcript of the summit. Guess what? That question ain't in there. Really? That, that's wiped. That's wiped. When I want to hear that, when I want to hear that Putin wanted Trump to win, huh, got, now? Got the full Nixon. They got the full Nixon on that, and Fox News just ignores it. Nah. So you guys that support Trump and you're, you're going to the White House and, and to Trump and to Fox News for the real deal, you're living in an illusion land. You're living in false reality, folks, because that's bullshit. Yeah. He talks like someone off the street, though. I think that's what they like. They just like that brash, doesn't talk like a politician at all. Not at all. I'll yeah. get to that later on. Yeah. But okay. that's, a, that's, a, that's a topic. Okay. Right. Things are heating up. Oh, yeah. Wow, man. How is that rhetoric? Things are, are heating up. You know, we got we got a double banger here. We got mm. Michael Cohen and Alan Weiselberg. Oh, this heating up. Okay. Yeah, I love I love the name Alan Weiselberg. Yeah. <laughs> but Michael Cohen is uh, Trump's former lawyer and fixer. He was mainly a fixer, a consigliere, mm. not really a lawyer. Went around doing all these different payments and stuff. And then here's another thing, guys. You know, like Michael Cohen released a tape of them talking about paying off. You know, the uh, Playboy model, you yeah. know. So you guys that think that Trump tells it like he is, for a year and a half now, he's denied even knowing this woman. And then you can hear him on tape agreeing to pay her $150,000. So, you know, telling it like it is, man, what is your reality? Where is your sense of reality? Not the same as mine. But anyway, so Michael Cohen now 
has gone the full banana. He's um, he's decided to tell Mueller that Trump knew about the Trump Tower meeting with Don Jr. Oh yeah, with the Russians right. before they had it. Boy, and if he and if that he can if he can you know prove and have conclusive proof of that, then it's goodbye Trump because that's collusion. If he knew that the Trump Tower meeting was happening before they had it. That's collusion, and everybody knows that he knew them at the meeting. I mean, you know, the, you know, the tr the Russians come to John Jr. and say we got we got dirt on Hillary, and you don't think Don Jr. is not going to tell his dad? I mean, you know, it's beyond belief. But he's been denying it. But now <coughs> there's a witness to the fact who said he was in the room, which he was, mm. and he said, yeah, that you know. So that's but really they didn't have dirt on Hillary, did they? They didn't have dirt on Hillary, but it's the intent. Yeah. You go into a bank to rob the bank, you get no money. You still go to jail for trying to go in there and rob the bank. What were they thinking, though? Saying, we've got dirt on Hillary, and then they turned up and say, what is it? And they go, um, well, we actually haven't. Yeah, they, they didn't. They Well, the, the Russian point of view was they wanted to get the Majinsky Act, the sanctions against the oligarchs, lifted. That was oh, their whole right, their yeah. whole thing. Right. Um, so it was just bait to get in there. It was just there. bait to get in there. And also, at times, um, according to the experts of espionage, the Russians throw out a line and see if you'll agree to meet. Mm. And then if you do, well, further down the line, they'll come back. How's your honey trap? A honey trap. Yeah. Oh, the honey trap. That gal? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. She's still going. She, in fact, this is classic. She is now in, in cooperating with the feds in the investigation into her boyfriend for fraud. Wow. <laughs> so he got screwed a lot more than... <laughs> I mean, all the way. Something this, really sexy about a spy, isn't it? Oh, it is, too, you know. I mean, a friend of mine married a spy. Really? Yeah, an American spy. Did he know it? Yep. And what did he say? See you later and I won't talk about it? <laughs> <laughs> they got married in uh, the Empire State Building. Wow. Wow. Yeah. That would be weird. Quite exciting, eh? It would, it would be weird, you know. What do you do today? Well, what well, would oh, you yeah. like to know? <laughs> oh, that's great news. How? Uh, what does she do? Oh, she's a spy. <laughs> <laughs> well, a lot of people in the states, their kids don't know their dads work for the CIA. Yeah, you know, so they just you know they put on a suit and tie and go off to work, and mm. they wouldn't have any idea. Okay, so now we go to Alan Weiselberg. Mm. We we haven't heard this name. I mean, it hasn't been broadcast a lot, but he is the chief financial officer of the Trump organization. Oh, and the and this is a killer. The, he has to now appear before he's been summoned to appear before a grand jury. Because his name came up in the tape about making the payments to the Playboy model. Right. So, and that was a hush-hush payment. So now... Porn, porn star, wasn't she? She was, no, she was the Playboy model. Oh, sorry. This is a different one. Oh, really? So this is a different one. Oh. There's two, Stormy Daniels and this gal. I oh, forget her name. She's a Playboy model. Mm -hmm. And then Michael Avenatti, the lawyer for Stormy Daniels, he's now representing three more women who've claimed to have had affairs with Trump and received hush payment money. So it just goes on and on, folks, on and on. Mm. The other thing that these people, it reminds me of, the other thing that these people that support Trump say, well, we know that he's not a perfect person, but neither was Lyndon Baines Johnson or John Kennedy or Bill Clinton. Mm. You notice how nobody ever mentions Barack? Nobody ever brings his name up because for eight years, folks, not a hint. No. No scandal. No nothing. No. Just a guy doing his job. So not everybody is a sleaze bag. Yeah, I mean, and, and, and Trump's not compulsory, but it was nice that he seemed genuinely affectionate towards Michelle. Yeah, yeah, it was just like a normal family. He loved his daughters, but better than normal, actually. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So anyway, Alan Weiselberg, 
He's been Trump's financial officer. So because of his name popped up on this tape, Robert Mueller summoned him, subpoenaed him mm. in front of a grand jury. Now, when you get in front of a grand jury, you know, it's serious business now. You either take the fifth or or you're done. Mm. Uh, and this guy knows all the financial records. He's been his financial chief financial guy for like 40-some-odd years. So, he, so, you know, it's it's going to heat up. Okay. I did recoil at the rhetoric coming from the White House regarding Iran. Uh, we'll get there. Okay. That's the next one. Oh, well, carry on. Let's, I haven't got anything in between that and that. You got, let's bomb Iran. Yeah, let's bomb Iran. That's what I just said. The, oh, yeah. <laughs> sorry, folks. We crossed our wires here. <laughs> Did you see that story? Uh, I, I saw the rhetoric coming from the White House. It was, it, it, I did recoil. I thought, oh, jeez, what? Uh. Yeah, it got kind of buried under a lot of stuff. It wasn't, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't like, you know, like, I look at all the sites. You know? It was a really hawkish threat. Yeah, no, no, I'm saying, but it didn't, it didn't like, it wasn't bombarded with like, I didn't get a lot of stories. I looked around, oh. you know, Australia and the UK are helping America identify targets to hit in Iran. See, that's that's the story. Using Google Earth. Well, whatever. Yeah. But those two countries and I mean, come on. We had a we had a treaty with Iran. It may not have been a perfect treaty, but what treaty is perfect? That's the Indians in America. You know, but it it was it was okay. It was working to a certain point. Yeah. They weren't going bananas. We tear up the treaty, we got nothing to replace the treaty with, and all of a sudden you you you, you see Two other countries that are possibly pointing out sites that we can go and bomb. I mean, I'm sorry, folks, but you know that's bullshit. That that's that's I don't know. I don't know what the, you know. It did make me pause. I went, oh god damn it, we're not going to go into another war, are no, we? Please, please not. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, that that's you know all the other stuff you can jump up and down, and I do jump up and down right. about it. But this is fairly serious now. If you. you you know, that, you, that really worried me. That it was the tone of it that really worried me. Exactly. Yeah. Um, although, you know, maybe he was just thinking, oh, this worked with Kim Jong, what's it? So I'll, I'll try to be really rabid. Yeah, but, you know, what if it isn't? What mm. if he wants to go and drop a couple bombs on these bastards? Can we name a war in the world today? Armies, fighting armies, navies, air force. What do you mean? Can you name one? Um... Let's see, Pakistan and India are always fighting over Kashmir. Mm. Yeah, <laughs> skirmishes here and there. Well, yeah, okay, but not a full... I can't remember a time in my life, or maybe even in history, where I couldn't do that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just thought I'd say, we, you know, early spoke with a dude about it. He thought he was into something else, I, th I think. It was a strange <laughs> conversation, but he was great. He had a Queen's accent. Oh, there you go. Yeah. <laughs> Nothing like a Queen's accent. I can't do it. Okay. Uh, now, selling snow to Eskimos. Good luck. Okay. Now, this, you know, this is the tragedy of the thing. I listened to a couple of his stump speeches, talking to the farmers, and he was someplace else talking. So I said, okay, I'm, I'm going to listen to these speeches, and I'm not going to have a real hate on or anything else. I'm just going to listen to them. And he's very entertaining. He can talk. Like you say, he doesn't talk like a politician. No. He's very entertaining. He talks to you. He talks to his audience. And he can sell snow to Eskimo. He makes everything sound a little grander than what it is. It's a little bit bigger. It's a little bit brighter. It's a little bit shinier. So if he would have taken that attitude 
and spoke to both sides of the aisle, I think he could have been a fantastic president. I think people would have would, would have gone nuts for this guy. It's kind of like Ronald Reagan. Ronald Reagan had the grandfatherly approach mm. where everybody felt comfortable and warm around him. Cross between John Wayne and Lassie. Yeah, he was just, you know, homespun. Yeah. And Trump's and got... the dad on My Three Sons. <laughs> Fred McMurray. <laughs> <laughs> but Trump does have that ability... To draw you in and go, yeah, yeah, yeah. This the Democrats is... just hate him too much. I know, I know. But and I you... really hope that someone good that can bring along some of those Trumpish people, yeah, uh, would would run because if they go for someone way over there, you know, like I don't think a, a they hard are socialist or something. They, yeah. t t it's going to be worse. Trump, yeah. Trump will win. Yeah, no, I don't think they will. It's it's hard to say at the moment. Mm. This is kind of an interesting comment. Ronald Reagan's son, who pops up on the news every now and again with comments. He said that uh, the Republican base of Trump so hate Democrats that they would elect Putin ahead of a Democrat. Mm. <laughs> Pretty it works the same way the other way, though, doesn't it? No, not even close. Really? Well, maybe close, but not that close. I mean, Republicans, come on. The Republicans are assholes. Trump's an asshole. Just get rid of the and, stupid two-party system. Who invented that? Uh, it kind of evolved. Let's go back to the Mooses. What were they called? The Moose Party? <laughs> the Elks and the Moose. Yeah, but they had the, the Whigs and, and they had the Federal Democrats. Uh, and They had a whole bunch of different parties. And then it kind of kind of morphed into into the two um, the uh, two giant ones. And it's all, all, all related to money. Mm. All comes down to money. Hey, good stuff, John. Oh, okay. That was exciting. Yeah. Al almost in the boat. <laughs> no, nah. not in the boat. Good for you. <laughs> you fighting swordfish. Ew, stupid guy. What are you talking about? <laughs> Good stuff. Uh, next up, a really, uh, it's a horrendous story. There's a movie at the film festival. Yeah. The title just says what is in it perfectly. Yeah. A mother sends her, actually brings, a mother sends her son to be shot. Why? What? Find out. Oh, God. Northern Ireland. Oh, God. I hate stuff like that. See, I don't like... See, I'm old now. When, uh, I was, when I was younger, I could get into stuff like that, possibly. But now, I, I, I just... Nah. Yeah. It darkened my week. Yeah. 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 I hear you. Ah. Weekend Variety. Wireless. The Good Friday Agreement from 1998. Northern Ireland. Looking out over these historic walls, I see a peaceful city. A safe city, a hopeful city, full of young people that should have a peaceful and prosperous future here where their roots and families are. That is what I see today with you. The people of these islands look forward today and we see the chance at last to escape those heavy chains of history. Northern Ireland. 20 years ago, and who would have thought it at the time seeing Martin McGuinness and Ian Paisley sitting next to each other on a stage, let alone signing something. Things have improved from our point of view, at least, but probably come as no surprise that there is some latent heat left there in the conflict, but not quite how I was expecting it, as it's depicted in... I've got to say, a stunning documentary at the New Zealand International Film Festival. Sinead O'Shea is the maker, the director, and the title says far too much for anybody's liking, but it's true. A mother sends her son to be shot. Sinead, welcome along. Hi, thank you for having me. All right. The paramilitaries, as though familiar during 
the troubles. You've found that they've kind of devolved but are still there tacitly sectarian, but they're doing different things. Yeah, I mean, maybe one can be sure exactly of what they're doing. Um, but yeah, there are groups, I suppose, who are formed from the kind of remnants, I suppose, of the paramilitary groupings such as the IRA or the INLA. And um, as far as they're concerned, the troubles are ongoing and they're still at war and they control certain neighbourhoods and these neighbourhoods don't believe in the police and um, they've kind of, I suppose, autonomous niche and um, that, I suppose, were the discoveries of this film. We're talking the real IRA, the organisation. Yeah, one of, them. One of the groups. Uh, the, the new IRA. They have a lot of acronyms as well as RAD, which is Republican Action Drugs, and Ogden the Heron. To make it a bit simpler in the film, I, I said that all the groupings were referred to as the IRA or the RAD, which is what people call them in those neighbourhoods. But if you wanted to break it down, they, they all belong to kind of micro groups. To put it in geographical perspective, and geography changes only over a few miles in such areas, we're talking dairy, aren't we? Exactly. But again, even there are people in dairy who have really almost no experience of these groups or this type of rule within these neighbourhoods. And so we're just talking about, I suppose, a number of communities, Craigan or Rosemount within dairy. Um, So, you know, it is... It's, a, it's definitely a minority. However, I suppose as the film shows, you know, when they when they put forward representatives for election, all their representatives win on the first count. So they're not nothing either, if that makes sense. Yeah. When you say they don't believe in the police, uh, it was seen as a necessity during the Troubles because the police didn't believe in them. Is that still a factor? Um, I don't know about that. I, I interviewed the police after I finished filming... I told them what I'd learned over the last few years. And the police did seem genuinely interested and committed to reaching out to neighbourhoods. But I, I think the police have to undo a lot of damage and there's a lot of mistrust. And certainly the people I met will never trust the police and they will never engage with the police and they will yeah. certainly never call the police for help and they will never betray anyone to the police. Our community will never expel armed Republicans. The history of, of opposition to Britain is too long and it's it's almost uh, instinctive in people. Uh, I think it might be even a gene within uh, the Northern Irish. The community doesn't forget what happened 30 or 40 years ago. They will never lift a phone and phone the police about IRA volunteers or IRA actions. It's still seemed as informing, right? And it's probably the worst thing that an Irish person could be accused of as being an informer. I mean, it's horrific. I wouldn't, I would rather be dead first. I think the longer the police stay out of the area, the better. And the Good Friday Agreement, like it's 20 years ago, so you've got to say at least one or one and a half generations that is being passed down. It's still the case today. Yeah, very much. I mean, Ben Barry, who's 11 when I start filming, you know, he he's there when I ask his mum why she didn't just call the police when her son was, you know, when she was told bring him to be shot. And uh, he just said, nope, can't, you can't go near the police. And 
still she would say she has no regrets about not calling the police. Actually, the opening scene features that little kid, little Kevin, Kevin Barry. Listeners in the film, this is over five years. You see this this child actually turn into a man all, all of a sudden with a revisit, but uh, we won't give everything away anyway. But the calm viciousness of that opening scene, that little kid, what is he, about eight, ten years old, is absolutely intoxicated with the idea of violent power. Yeah, I mean, I must say, I underestimated that a bit. You know, when I kind of was showing off and he'd have been a little boy and he it just so happened that his toys were things like saws and pliers and and things like that but I suppose as the film goes on you can see that it is a bit more intense I suppose maybe not even intense he just hasn't been able to help absorbing all the violence that's around him you know there's that amazing scene where him his mom and his brother are talking about why is Kevin Barry so violent and they're like it's the films (laughs) it's just an amazing moment because it's really not the films it's growing up in this extremely violent community where you always sort things out with violence yeah I get the picture that it's not strictly sectarian. I mean, that's a lot of the rhetoric and seemingly the reason for these paramilitary yeah, organisations. Yeah, exactly. It's a good point. You know, nobody's talking about God very much and nobody's, you know, people are Catholic mostly by identity, but, you know, it's it's not a strong part of their lives particularly. Yeah, because um, your subjects uh, that are the victims of this extreme kind of violent authoritarian group within Derry, well, we're on the same side. And it's like these paramilitary groups, a lot of the talk is we're cleaning the town up from drug dealers. They found a new job. <laughs> yeah, it's one way of putting it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think, I think the problem a war ending is that you have a lot of people that you don't have a purpose anymore and I think a fairly universal state of mind and so I think you know there is this sense that people are quite addicted to violence and to control and it needs another manifestation so you know patrolling streets and keeping them clear of drug dealers is one way to do that and then just I suppose interested in chaos is another way of doing it too and then I suppose just taking drugs too. All right. To the point, it's a shocking statement and it's one of your questions within the film as well. You say, I'm just trying to get to the bottom of a parent bringing a child to be shot. It's just such a shocking thing. This is the power of this, the authority of these people. Yeah, it's funny though because I asked that to Philly, who was brought by his mother to be shot, and Philly's answer is really pragmatic. He's like, "Well, you know, they just come to the house instead." You know, he's not. I don't think he's that concerned with, I suppose, the, the sort of more emotional aspect to that at the time. Um, you know, he just gives me a really practical answer to that. Um, but I, I suppose in a in a case where you don't have laws, you have government. And people feel very oppressed by all sides. And, you know, people are terrified of drug dealing. You know, there was a lot of trouble within that family alongside all this. Yeah. It seems like the only solution. You know, there's a point in 
And when I say to them, well, why did you just move out? I think if, if I couldn't phone the police and if I felt like nobody was going to protect me, I think I would just leave. Um, there, you know, anyone I said that to was always just horrified. Like they would never leave. I'd much rather bring their children to be shot than leave that community. So they're very loyal to it. Um, I think they just feel very estranged and very cut off from the rest of the world. Yeah. So it really is the... You aren't kidding in this movie. It does come to the, these people meet out punishment for various activities they see as being extremely odious. They meet out their punishment by shooting people, not to death, but they damage them. And yeah, parents... I mean, they, they did kill somebody uh, um, whose sister is in the film. And, you know, they do have a whole kind of book almost. You know, they... they People are banished, people are painted, you know, they're covered in glue and stones and shot. And, you know, you can get all kinds of things. You know, when I was there, paramilitary work in a drive and people came up to someone's broken my hand, hand mirror and they'd be like, okay, we might try to sort this out. So that Rosemount Centre, um, you know, who handled who handled the mediation for Philly's shooting, they're dealing with hundreds of cases all the time. Um, it's very, yeah, it's very particular. Did you just find the black centre of the worst part of a troubled town? Or is this more widespread? Uh, mm, there's really only two kind of cities in Northern Ireland and I don't think you have the same system in Belfast. Belfast is much more closely connected to the UK and even the Republic of Ireland, you know, there's a a good motorway from Belfast to Dublin. It is quite isolated. Um, Though, I I mean, again, I must really stress this film doesn't represent all of Derry or all of the people in Derry. But um, I don't know. Having said that, there are plenty of punishment shooting in Belfast also. I just, I just don't know if it's as systemised as it was in Derry. The attitudes remain entrenched, not only because they've, they've lost their job and they're finding something to do. There's so much investment being made in the struggle. We see the Good Friday Agreement and hope and pray that, oh, well, you know, just put down your guns and let it go. But the investment made... There's a lot of Republicans in this city who have invested an awful lot in struggle and suffered terribly, have lost loved ones, have spent the best years of their lives imprisoned, and they have got nothing whatsoever out of this phony uh, peace process. And I think as the days go on, it, it, you know, more and more this is beginning to be exposed. And in the absence of that uh, proper, normal, structured policing, there will be uh, times when, you know, when the community will, will, will take action itself. Friends, family, dead, jailed, damaged. That's the reason they can't let it go yeah. to. Yeah, that's really well observed, actually. Um, I think it's just very hard for people to let go of that. And they're not really given a very enticing alternative. You know, the unemployment figures are very high and you know, there's a lot of issues with drug addiction and and suicide, of course. And so, you know, I, I, can, I can see what, you know, that people are left with what they feel is pretty unpalatable choice. And they haven't it so heavily. Their whole lives were made up of this until quite recently. The suicide rate doubled since the Good Friday Agreement in Derry. 
I understand. That's a very, very sad yeah, statistic. I, mean, I, know that, I know that more people have died by suicide over the same period of time than were killed during the troubles. Um, so, you know, that's astonishing. And there's a lot of very, un, a lot of undiagnosed stress disorder, I think, still from what happened during the troubles. As I said, it's a lot of problem with drug addiction and unemployment. And I think there is a community, as they say, who've been really left behind by the Good Friday Agreement, by the peace process, kind of moved on. And I think actually that might be quite a universal syndrome that, you know, once the news cameras move on and once the peace agreements are signed and the politicians flown away, you know, people are left a very difficult reality. I'm not surprised after, you know, watching the movie, it makes more so much more sense now hearing the statement that some people, they want the troubles back. I know, it's a very big statement. Um, At least it's a clear yeah. enemy and goal. They have a discreet purpose. Yeah, I think you're totally right. I think exactly. I think they're now left position where they're not officially at war with anyone, with anyone but they feel at war all the time and um, it's, I think it's really confusing on a really basic level and I think sometimes like a lot of things that happen in the film and a lot of things that you know happened while we were filming they were very avoidable these acts of violence it's kind of like people just had this sort of kind of addiction almost to chaos the trouble and so I think that's what they mean when they say they want the troubles back because at least it would just kind of make things a bit simpler in some way give them a reason for more of a describable reason for doing what they are doing yeah I really think you're very right I, at the moment part of the agony is just not even being able to articulate what they're feeling at least in the troubles you have, as you say, you have an enemy and you have boundaries and you have prison and you have kind of military rules. So it's a bit more clarity. Well, that is a tinderbox for any group who would like to throw the Good Friday Agreement away and let's get going again. Well, I think another thing which is very inflammatory is the Brexit situation within the UK. Oh, yeah. And so... If, if a hard Brexit goes ahead, if there's a no-deal Brexit, it's very likely there will be a hard border between Northern Ireland and the Republic of Ireland. And that gives those people an excuse to reignite a war. And that, you know, I, I do feel, I think Tinderbox is correct. I feel like people need conflict and this would, this would be a good excuse. And Derry is a very special case. It's kind of this geographical limbo land. Okay, yeah, it's in the UK, but it's right there on it's the much border. much closer to the Republic, yeah. And it's it's quite from Belfast, you know. It's um, it's got a very bad road. It's a single lane most way. It's, it's not kept in very good repair. So people feel quite isolated. Also, there's a Catholic majority there, and... They've been discriminated against for a very long time um, compared to sort of the eastern of Northern Ireland, which is much more closely aligned with the rest of the UK. So it's a very special case. And, of course, they took place there, which is one of the worst atrocities of the Troubles. Mm. So, you know, it's a very painful history. And I say dairy, and every time I say dairy, this, this is how, how weird 
things can get. I say dairy, and it, I'm conscious of saying dairy, because if I say London dairy, that puts me in a political position. If I say dairy, for those that say London dairy, that puts me in the other political position. There was even the proposal to change the name of the place entirely to Stroke. Really? I didn't know that. Yeah, uh, London, because it was London dairy, Stroke dairy. I mean, you couldn't, you couldn't publish anything and give the name of your town without giving away a political affiliation or at least giving the appearance of it. Yeah, yeah. No, that, yeah, I suppose I'm the Republic of Ireland, so I would have grown up named Derry. Yeah. And, yeah, it's very charged. It's so small, but, you know, symbols are very significant in Ireland. You know, like the flags. Flags are still an enormous issue in Belfast. The unionist flags, that is, flags. Mm. Symbols mean a lot. That people fight very hard to secure those. Well, it really is quite a, a microscope on a family, in particular, in an area and, and a whole community, really. But the, this particular family traumatized once, twice, thrice over, really. And um, we won't give anything away for what happens later on in the movie, but just to give people an idea of the time span. You went there just to film for a couple of days. I'm not saying you filmed for yeah, an entire... I mean, not even. I just, I just thought it would be a short news course in 2012. Yeah. Then as soon as I started talking to Hugh, you know, who's the mediator between the families and the gunmen, I mean, he just, he wouldn't really stop talking. And I just thought, wow, you know, this is, there's such a, there's a much more interesting and elaborate story but I didn't think it would take five years. <laughs> that was <laughs> Yeah, and the revisiting after five years, you get to see from the child that is, to that the is man. Brilliant. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of worth it to get that. Oh. Um, but it's, it's quite arduous. Uh, yeah, that is an amazing moment. And, like, you know, an amazing moment for me, too, because I hadn't seen it in years at that point. Yeah. Um, so, you know, it's interesting. Yeah. I showed the films to family, actually. Ago. Yeah, what's and been the reaction? It was quite funny. And they thought it was very funny. They really liked it. We watched it in the sitting room with them and they clapped it. You know, those Murphy and Kevin Barry just denounced the paramilitaries as being hoods of guns. They loved those bits. Um, so they kind of critiqued their clothes a lot and they oh. yeah, they really liked it. Um, and Hugh loved it too. Actually, everyone's quite liked it. I was so done to everyone. I kind of think they thought I was making it up sometimes that I was actually making a film because it was taking so long. <laughs> it just seemed sort of imaginary at points. Mm. Um, so it was nice to show them that I was it. Okay. It's all shocking enough, but the end of the filming, uh, we won't give away what happens there. Go it's, see it. It's okay, but I do think there are moments of humour um, occasionally. Oh, it. yeah. Um, a lot of people in Northern Ireland find it very funny, actually, in screenings we've had in Belfast. Laugh and laugh. They they used to. The people in Northern Ireland are used to more of a background level of trauma. Yeah, I guess. I guess they've quite a a black sense of humour as well at this point. Yeah, Yeah, it's interesting. The reaction really varies from country to country. um, Yeah. Well, it is a place. (laughs) It is a place where a mother who loves her son sent her son to be shot. So. That's what can happen. Oh, Sinead O'Shea, journalist and filmmaker, thanks so much. Anything else you want to add for people seeing the movie in New Zealand? 
Um, no, but um, yeah, I mean, I'd be so delighted if you into the film and spread the word. Um, we're still kind of bringing it around the world and going to be in the cinemas in September. So anyway, I'd be very grateful for any time that you take with it. Uh, it was a lot of time by everyone. And it is, of course, it's a documentary, so it's all in natural Northern Irish, and so there are subtitles too. So good one. <laughs> Even the transcribers who are from Northern Ireland oh. couldn't make out some of the stuff. <laughs> it's fairly dense. Lovely, uh, Sinead O'Shea. All the best. Okay, thank and, you so much, and thank you for this uh, for this movie. Brilliant. Okay, thank you so much. Take care. The weekend variety wireless. Some fabulous stories have come about. Uh, thanks very much to the New Zealand International Film Festival. And that story you just heard, the other side of the uh, previous commercial break, um, no exception, Sinead O'Shea, the director of A Mother Send a Son to Be Shot. Would you like a double ticket to the New Zealand International Film Festival? I don't think it matters where you are as long as it's coming to a city near you. Uh, and there are still Auckland dates, so... Um, hopefully, you know, you'll be able to use them quite easily. Uh, just give us a call now. 0800 844 747. 0800 844 747. It'll be to pretty much any movie you would like to go and see, unless it's already sold out. And some that are sold out are having extra screenings as well. Maui's Hook um, has, and deservedly so, uh, a cracking film. It was spooky. I got scared. Ha <laughs> ha. All right, uh, new sport and weather coming at you at around about the speed of light and the other side of uh, the info burst, we have a fresh outsider tale from Jared Hindmarsh. It's about this uh, sabotage that happened in Greece during Nazi-occupied Germany times. Uh, sorry, Nazi-occupied Greece times, and it was some feat, and it was done by a couple of New Zealanders. Hear the full story with Jared Hindmarsh after this.